Thank you for joining us for another power-packed message from Dr. Miles Monroe, provided by Monroe Global Incorporated and MonroeGlobal.com. We transform followers into leaders and leaders into agents of change. We hope that this message is a blessing to you as you advance your life and discover your purpose. Now, let's go into the message. Keys to becoming a leader keys to becoming a leader this is for housewives students mechanics clerks this session is for nursery workers for politicians it's for kings this session is for secretaries it's for masons and carpenters how to become a leader. Leadership is very, very complicated because it is subtle. Most of the people who uh, we call leaders are really not leaders. The problem is if you don't know what something looks like, you can't tell it when you see it. I just said something important. In other words, if you don't know what a leader is supposed to be and look like, you can never ascertain when you saw one. So your definition and your concept of leadership is part of the problem of why we cannot find true leaders. And so this is why I use the term true leadership. If you read all of my books on leadership, you will find this term in the book. I never used the word leadership. I used the word true leadership because 90% of the leaders you call leaders are not true leaders. These are normally people who are professional manipulators. They wield power. They threaten people. They have the element of force. They can force things that go their way. They have an oppressive spirit where they withhold from you in order to manipulate you things that you want. They have the capacity to tantalize your sheepish emotions with their words. Yeah. Yeah. And you call them leaders. True leadership is usually completely opposite to each of those elements. And we're going to talk about that today. I want to begin with a few comments about leadership as to what true leadership is. First, make a note of this. True leadership is not about control. It's about service. Secondly, true leadership is not about power. It's about empowerment.
most followers would say about their leader that's a powerful person well you just expose the fact that they are not a true leader a true leader will have followers who say the opposite that person empowered me that's a true leader that person made me great that's a true leader but we normally say the opposite oh he's a powerful preacher well did he make you one that's the question number three leadership is not about manipulation it's about inspiration inspiring people is the highest form of true leadership true leaders don't manipulate they inspire people number four leadership is really not about people it's about purpose I will explain all of these in this session in other words true leadership is not about trying to find people to follow you true leadership is discovering a purpose that you commit to pursue so leadership has more to do with you pursuing something than you pursuing people to follow you true leaders therefore do not seek followers and number five true leadership is about becoming more than doing you know most people that we call leaders we describe them as doing great things but a true leader is more about a person becoming something they discovered about themselves they are becoming it and in the process of becoming themselves they inspire other people that inspiration is what influences the people and they submit to the leaders vision and so these are introductory thoughts about leadership I want to talk a little bit about the kind of leadership that's destroying our world and I'm going to repeat this every time I speak because these thoughts are so important number one politics without principles this kind of leadership is destroying our countries politics without principles I wish I could just come here and spend a whole day on this one statement because this one statement summarizes most of the failure in our political arena than any other component politics without what principles I'm gonna step on a limb here but I think it might be helpful to you you are about to enter a period of elections and out of 360 million people you've come down to two people to choose to lead you when I study these two characters I am sorry for your country 
Out of 360 million people, you couldn't find better qualities of leadership. One of my major concerns about the present leadership is this statement number one. That's your problem. Politics without principles. And this is what you have to deal with right now. I don't know if you are a kingdom citizen, I am not sure how you have to vote. I am praying for you. It's tough. Because the defects that exist in both are so serious that you, you are hard pressed to decide between the two. And that's because your culture, especially your political culture, does not lend itself to produce true leaders. Your culture produces deal makers. So you will compromise your principles to please some people. That's what you produce. Leaders who compromise their personal principles to please groups of people. Therefore, you are no longer a leader. You are automatically being led. This is your problem. The second leadership that will destroy us is pleasure without conscience. Third, wealth without work. This kind of system will destroy a community when people would prefer to gain wealth without effort. And this is why I have my concerns about things like lottery, gambling, because what you've developed is a culture of people who want something for nothing. You're destroying your country. Fourth component that would destroy a country is knowledge without and character. Rather. You know, a lot of smart people are using their, their knowledge to destroy. And it seems as if the more intelligent we become, the more dangerous we become. People, for example, know the system so well that they can actually end up paying no taxes. Because they have knowledge you don't have. And therefore, they violate character. Number five, business without morality. This is what have destroyed our global economy lately. What have destroyed us is a few businessmen in New York saw an opportunity to make some loans to people who couldn't pay it back. And they knew they couldn't pay it back. So they were immoral in business. The rest is history. The world is still trying to recover. And number six, science without humanity. It's good to have scientific advancement, but when you do not regulate that with conscience and humanity, the science can destroy. 
You know, they developed a pill that can destroy a baby in the womb if you don't want the baby. The pill can actually dissolve the baby. It's made in France. That's science without humanity. And then the last one is worship without sacrifice. That will destroy us. Worship without sacrifice. Mahatma Gandhi made these statements, and I love what he says here. He says, if we pursue God without willing to sacrifice personal pleasure, we are destructive. I think we've seen this in our experience, especially in what you call religion. Great spiritual leaders who claim to worship God at the highest level, but they cannot keep their zipper up. They cannot sacrifice self-discipline. That's destroying us. We need to listen to this list every day. Listen to it. Let it talk to you. And then measure your leaders against it after you measure yourself against it. Leadership. Let's talk a little bit about politics. Here's a guy you all know well. Politics without principles. The kind of leaders we need. Well, let me begin by talking about politicians a little bit, because some of you are politicians. We don't need more politicians in leadership. We got enough of them. What we need is leadership in politicians. That statement sounds very simple, but it's not. I deal with politicians very often. Most of my work now is with political leaders all over the world. When I leave here tomorrow, I'm on my way to South Africa. I'm going to, to the Congo. I'm going to Zambia. I'm going to Zimbabwe. And all of my meetings with these countries is with the politicians. I'm going to be facilitating leadership training with leaders of countries. And I, I am amazed when I sit with these people in a room just like this. Sometimes it's 500 of them, they shut the government down, and I talk with them, and I begin to teach on leadership. Some of them actually begin to weep in the session. Powerful men, women, they weep. Because when I'm halfway through my, my seminar, they realize they are not leaders. They are power-hungry people. Or they have defects like low self-esteem suffering from poor self-concept and trying to compensate for it through power. Don't ever believe that a politician is a leader. Don't ever believe that. Because the system that we have produces politicians. It doesn't produce leaders. And so you can have a politician who knows nothing about leadership and he's leading you 
What we need is more leadership in the politician, which is something that needs to be taught and trained in that person. Uh, as a result of this leadership empowerment conference, I am hoping that you will be qualified to go into politics in your local community. Because your motivation will be correct. Here's another one to remember. Politicians are concerned about the next election. That's all they're interested in. That's why they cannot be leaders. But leaders are different. Leaders are concerned about the next generation. I want you to compare those two thoughts the next time you have a politician come to your house wanting to vie for your vote. Just ask him, uh, what is your vision for my children? I will sit and listen for 20 minutes for you to tell me what it is. He will leave your house. Because he has no interest in your children's children. His concern is to stay in power. To keep the position. To win the next election. This is why they cannot lead. Because leading requires following your own convictions. Not the popular interests. Right away you cannot lead if you want to be re-elected. That leads me to point number five. True leaders focus on purpose, passion, principles, the interests of the people, and vision. When you are going to have a conversation with a politician, you should actually try this as a test. You, by the way, as a citizen of a community, you have a right to be seen by the mayor. I hope you know that. If you voted for a mayor, the mayor works for you. Therefore, you have a right to see him. You can make an appointment to see any public officer you voted for. Did you know that? That's your legal right. If he don't want to see you, you can take him to court. That's democracy. So I want you to make an appointment to go and see your mayor or go and see your governor and just sit and say, I want 30 minutes with you, sir. And ask him about that list right there. Uh, sir, what is your purpose for being in leadership in this city? What is your purpose? The first question will make him very nervous. Second question, what is your, what is your passion for our community? He'll be wondering what you're talking about. What are you talking about? I just want to build roads and bridges and, and provide jobs. No, 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 no. What is your passion? And then the third one is the most dangerous one. What are your principles of leadership? Things you won't violate. What are your standards that you have observed in your life that you will never break? These are the issues of true leadership. And this is why we need to question the leaders we have. And so I have a little thought here. I call it politics versus leadership. Let's talk about it for a second. Number one, politicians focus on programs, not vision. 
Number two, politicians, priority is securing the next election, not securing the next generation. Their focus is different. Number three, politicians are preoccupied with promises, not purpose. So they make you promises, right? We'll provide jobs for you. That's a promise. We'll provide free education for your children. That's a promise. We will cut taxes. That's a promise. We will give free high school diplomas and we will give free college tuition. Promises. They never talk about purpose. And purpose is the foundation of leadership. Number four, politicians think of the next election all the time. Anytime you talk to them, they're thinking about how can I secure my seat? They will do anything you want them to do. This is why the, the, the fringe groups in your society are having such an effect. You got 10% of the population of your country making 80% of the laws because they probably got 90% of the resources. In other words, politics is for sale. It's not for leadership. What we need is statesmen stateswomen. We don't need more politicians. A statesman is an interesting human. A statesman think of the next generation. You know, I had an opportunity to speak to Ambassador Andrew Young yesterday. And we were chatting on the phone, you know. And uh, he and I have become good friends. As a matter of fact, I think he's planning to be here tonight to be with me. And it would be good for you to hear him talk a little bit. But when you, when you talk to a guy like this, he's a statesman. He thinks about the history all the time. He thinks about how the history affects the children that are unborn and whether they will appreciate what happened. That's a statesman. He, he thinks about, about heritage and destiny. Wow. That's a rare leader. By the way, this list can be applied to pastors because most pastors are politicians. <laughs> I call them spiritual politicians. The list is the same. They are concerned about staying a pastor more than they are about making you the future pastor. They protect the pulpit from you. They actually lie on God by saying things like, don't touch God's anointed. I wonder what they mean by that. It's a ploy to threaten you. Don't touch me, even if I'm wrong. Always remember that King Saul was fired before he left the company. That's a deep statement. Yeah. 
So we need help, don't we? In leadership right now. Everything I've said, I see you nodding your heads. Because you know someone right in your environment that lines up with those lists, right? Yeah, that tells you that you are a smart person. You already know something was wrong. I just told you what they are. Now let me tell you why we got these kinds of leadership. These kind of leaders. I'm going to go back to history. This is a, a picture of Caesar. I put him in the background for a reason. The Roman Empire is the source of our modern day leadership. But the source of the Roman Empire's leadership was the Greeks. The Greeks were the ones who invented the word democrata. Democrata is the word we translate as democracy. That's a Greek idea. It was invented by great thinkers like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. These were the great thinkers of the Greeks who formulated philosophies of leadership. They created philosophy of democracy. The Greeks, therefore, are known as the thinkers of history. They capsulized, summarized their thoughts and put them on paper. As a matter of fact, the Greek empire was known for its library. They were the ones who, who wrote philosophy of life. And they were the ones who really built the idea of modern day democratic philosophy. It's Greek, not biblical, it's from the Greeks. When the Romans invaded Greece, the Romans shacked the whole place, but the Roman emperor told the soldiers, do not touch the library. The Romans kept the library. And the Roman leaders took the Greek library and they salvaged all the ideas of the Greeks. And they chose the parts that were appropriate for them. And the Romans used the Greek ideas of leadership to rule the empire. So you could say the Roman is a Greek in the head, but a fighter in the hand. He had Greek thinking, but Roman military might. Now, why is this important? Because the modern day countries of Europe, which colonized the Western world, which you are a product of, were all the Roman Empire. Europe, the word urupo, urupo, is a word that the Romans invented to describe the areas that they controlled, from Africa all the way to England. The Roman, Romans controlled the whole world. And Caesar, the king, Caesar's a title, sons of the gods, the king ruled the whole world. And when the Roman Empire was destroyed, it was not destroyed by an army, because they were too powerful to be destroyed by an army. They were destroyed by their loins. Right here. The Roman Empire, they say, was defeated by immorality. They became so corrupt morally that they decayed from the inside. 
No army destroyed Rome. For example, out of 14 Caesars, 12 of them were homosexuals. And their favorite interest was boys. So when you study the morality of the greatest power in history, and by the way, to this day, no empire has ever risen greater than Rome. Rome was the most powerful nation in history, period, including the Bible. Because they're the only ones that rule the whole world. No one has done it since. And they were never destroyed by military might. They were destroyed by immorality. They became so morally corrupt that you didn't even have to kill them. They self-destruct. Most great nations die the same way. You can't beat them militarily. They begin to decay from the inside. Their laws and their interests begin to be morally questionable. Could it be that the greatest nation on earth, the United States at the moment, uh, is following the same path? You don't need to beat them with a nuclear weapon. Just let them decay from the inside. Immorality. So the Roman Empire fell apart. When it fell apart, it broke up into small kingdoms. Uh, the centurions and those who were part of the Senate, they began to scramble for what was left. And they developed what they call the multi-kingdoms of Urupo, Europe. So the kingdoms of Europe are actually the result of the breaking up of Rome. So they developed little kingdoms like Franco, Spanian. These are Roman kingdoms. Belgium, which is Belgium. Portugal. Anglo-Saxon. British. These are Roman kingdoms that break up. My point is, they are all Greek thinkers with Roman attitude. Now, if you notice, all of them developed the same interests in colonization. Read my books on the kingdom back there to get information on this. Very important to learn this, to understand Jesus. Because Jesus Christ was born in the middle of the colonization process. He was actually a member of a colony of the Roman Empire. And you cannot understand the Bible until you understand colonization. So please make sure you get those books, all of them on the kingdom. Otherwise, you will never know what you're supposed to be doing right now as a kingdom citizen. It has nothing to do with religion. So the Roman Empire falls apart. They develop these kingdoms. France, Spain, Belgium, Portugal, Britain. And what happens is they began to expand. They expanded through colonization. And so they became interested in the West. And Columbus left. Columbus was an Italian. He was, from, he was from Rome. He was an Italian. He also was a Jew. Columbus wanted to, to do expedition. But the Roman government refused to finance him. So he went to Spain. And the king and queen of Spain decided, 
we like your idea because we want to expand our kingdom. So they financed his trip. And he had three ships and they built them for him and financed him and everything and he came west and he landed in the Bahamas in a little island called, he named it San Salvador. It still exists in my country. It's a beautiful country, little island, beautiful beaches there. That's where he planted the first cross because he came in the name of the Catholic Church but in the name of the Spanish kingdom. And that's why most of the islands in the Caribbean have Spanish names because he couldn't name them in the name of the, uh, the Italian government but they didn't finance the trip. So wherever he went, he had to claim it in the name of Spain. And this is why most of the countries in the Western world are Spanish-speaking countries. Mexico, Guatemala, Guadalupe, uh, you know, you got uh, 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 Colombia, you got Chile, you got Venezuela. I mean, most of the Spanish because they financed the first trip. They, he claimed the areas first, subdued all the natives. And then the French came and they did their part. And then the British came and did their part. And the Bahamas used to be actually a Spanish colony. The British fought the Spanish and won. That's why I speak English. I was supposed to be speaking Spanish. It depends on which kingdom took over. Right next to us, five minutes away, is Cuba. So they colonized the whole area. All of the Western and the United States was actually first claimed by the Spanish. Hmm. And then the, the, uh, the, the Spanish was attacked by the British. You know the story. And they defeated the Spanish. And they, they claimed this continent, this part of the continent, the United States. But I'm trying to get to a point. Listen carefully, because I'm talking about leadership here. So they colonized these areas. And remember now, a kingdom expands because the glory of a kingdom is territory. Again, to understand the Bible, you have to understand that principle. Because God is a king. That's why he created the universe, to expand territory. Okay, so here he is. We got these leaders, they wanted these kings, all these are kings, they want to expand their territory, and they take over these areas, and they came to the Caribbean, came to Central America, South America, North America, and of course, they're looking for wealth in the land. They're looking for gold, looking for diamonds. You know, they were looking for oil at that time because oil was not important to them. Uh, wealth was land, agriculture, Kauai, they were an agricultural society, so those who had good land became powerful kings. So when they came to these areas, the Caribbean and South America, Central America, and the United, this area called Americas, uh, they, they realized they had a lot of land, and they tried to domesticate the local natives to work for them under force of arm, of course, and the natives couldn't handle it. Some of them ran, some of them fought, became very difficult, and the Portugal, the Portuguese were the first ones to go to Africa, and they discovered more land, and then they found some strong people, they said. This is all in history. And they realized these people were stronger than the ones that were in the territory that they discovered. They could live longer, last longer. They were, they were more sturdy. They could handle the sun. You know, the Indians, the Aztecs, and all these folks, they couldn't handle the weight of, the, of, of pressure. And so they shipped these people over to work in the farms. They call them plantations. And they literally made them chattel. Animals. Just, you, it's like an ox. You, you were here to work. 
And so the slave trade became a reality. It was all economics. No slave was ever bought from African continent because of love. It was all economics. And it hasn't changed much. Okay, so we have now this problem of, of this trade route taking place. And you may ask, why did all of these kingdoms do it? All of them did it. The French did it. The Spanish did it. The Portuguese did it. The British did it. They traded in people. And they chose Africans because they were more durable. They actually used to breed people because, you know, they were stronger. They'd breed. They would choose the strongest male and the strongest female and put them together and have sex to produce a, a stronger slave. That was the element of the day. And this is why we lost families, because they didn't care. You know, if your husband was strong and you was weak, they take your husband away from you. They find a woman who was strong, your husband was weak, take her, put them together. And so the destruction of the family component, even psychologically, was a reality because of economics. You know, to sell a strong slave made sense. You get more money for a stronger slave, whether it's a male or female. So this was the concept. Now, the question I want to ask you is, how could humans do this to humans? That's the question I want to deal with. Because these were leaders doing this. Well, I got the answer for you. Because here's what the Greeks believed that the Romans adopted that became the foundation of leadership for the kingdoms of Europe that created our countries today. The philosophy of the Greeks. Number one, they believe that leadership is a product of natural endowment. Now, those of you who studied philosophy would have read some of Plato's writings and Socrates' perceptions of men. You'd have read Aristotle's concept of the value of human. And you would find that these principles are in their philosophies. They believe that a person was earmarked to be a leader if they had certain natural endowments. That means if you, if you didn't have these natural endowments, then you were born to be a slave. This is Greek thinking. Let me put it another way, number two. They believe that leadership is a product of birth traits. You can study this on the internet. It's all there. The Greeks believed that if you had certain traits, you were automatically born to be the ruling class. And if you didn't have those traits, you were born to be the serving class. If you do some research, you'll discover that the, the, some of the traits are shocking. For example, the Greeks believed that if you had fair pigmentation, you were created to be a leader. Fair pigmentation. Well, that rules me out. They also believe that if you had thin lips, this is written in their doctrine, then you were designed to be a leader. So that rules me out. Then they said, if you had pointed noses, the gods chose you to be a leader. Well, you know I'm out twice. <laughs> then they said, if you're 
hair was blonde and your eyes were blue, you are definitely designed to be the leader. Have mercy on me. Okay, this is not funny though. Think about it. This is what they believed. So you can understand why when they went to Africa, the conclusion was the gods have blessed us today. We've got enough labor created by the gods to run our empires. And so the people became fuel for their machinery of their industries of agriculture. Now, I want you to understand this was the philosophy of their leadership. This is very important. In other words, <laughs> treating you like a non-human was not a matter of conscience. It was natural. You don't have the traits. So you were born to serve me. You were created by the creator to be second class, to be my slave. You, you can't argue this. God chose you to be my servant. So the concept was, let me go to the third one. This is very important. This is also written in the Greeks, philosophy, is that leadership is the product of what? Providence, they said. Providence means the gods chose those who would be leaders and the gods chose those who would be followers. So this is not a matter of who you think you are. It's a matter of what the gods chose you to be. Do you understand how deep this is? This is in the psyche of the post-European era, which is still not over. Let me explain how this works out practically. If you went to college, what's your name? John. Okay, John went to college and got a PhD in physics. I'm talking about nuclear physics. This guy is a brain, he's sharp. PhD in nuclear physics. problem is it doesn't matter you are simply seen as a very smart slave because your your pigmentation your nose your lips your eyes your hair is the problem it doesn't matter so they actually would tell their neighbor I have a smart slave in other words educating you you, you think changes you it doesn't it ain't the brain that makes you different. So the system, the culture, doesn't translate your PhD into being a superior human. It says you are simply a superior thinking slave. So it doesn't matter how much education you get. It doesn't matter how much accolades you put behind your name. It doesn't matter how much you achieve. In the Greek mind, in the Roman mind, which is the leadership that came over, you are still a slave by providence. Do you know that they actually created a theology for this? Because every ideology needs a theology to make it legal. 
Can I say it again? Yes. Write it down. Every ideology needs a theology to make it legal. So you will find, even like in, in apartheid, apartheid had a theology created by the Dutch Reformed Church, which was based on Greek philosophy as well. Because remember, South Africa was taken over by Romans, you know, Europeans. <laughs> Hitler, if you already remember Hitler, uh, Adolf Hitler was an interesting guy. Adolf Hitler said that he had a visitation from God. You ever read his uh, Mein Kampf? He believed that God chose him to restore the Roman Empire. That's why he had a plan to take over Europe again. He says that he was chosen by God to establish what he called the Third Reich, the Third Reign of the Romans. And this is why, again, his concept of leadership, his philosophy made it easy for him to, to destroy people. You know, uh, remember, you need blonde eyes, bl blonde hair, blue eyes, sharp nose, okay? So when he looked at the Jews, for example, the Jews got dark hair, <laughs> dark brown eyes or black eyes, olive skin. He said, huh. They were designed, they are rats to our society, he says. They are sucking our blood. We must kill them. Why? These are not real humans. The gods have made them to be our slaves. So it was easy to, to, to kill 10 million slaves between Africa and Carolina in the water. No, sorry, 60 million died on the ships. I was in, I was in Ghana early in this year. And I went to one of the forts where they sold slaves. It's an amazing experience. You should go there. And on the wall was a statement written. It says, slaves left here and went to the Caribbean. So I probably found where my great-great-grandfather came from, one of the holes that they went through. I was in touch with my history for a few minutes. I wept. Here's my point. Where did you get your philosophy from? determines how you lead people. The way you think about people determines how you lead them or destroy them. So the Greeks believed that the gods chose leaders and the gods chose followers. Let me give you a last one. They believe that leadership is a product of a word they invented called charisma. The Greek says leadership is a product of charismatic personality. Uh, they, and they actually defined it, you know, Plato defined it. He says charismatic personality is the gifts of the gods. And he, he defined some of the gifts like uh, extrovert personality, uh, talkativeness, uh, communicative ability, auditory, Greeks. In other words, if you are open and flamboyant and, and you are extrovert and you like to talk and, and you like to communicate and you speak well, they says, God's chose that one. So if you are quiet and subdued, you are automatically a slave. And then this is why you develop this idea. They actually told the slave something very important. They told the slave, look, you ought to be seen but not heard. Now that statement may sound simple to you, but that was a philosophy. 
You, you are not say, I'm supposed to talk. Only leaders talk. You cut wood, you pick cotton, you serve the food, and you ask, if you don't exist, you're supposed to be like almost invisible. So they say you must be seen, but not heard. Now, here's the problem though. That thing has gone so deep into the spirit of the slave that the slave today still brings his children up by saying, be seen, but not heard. It's demonic, but you still do it to your children. So when I call you up right now to make a speech in five minutes, you're afraid to come. Why? You've been successfully subdued. You call it, I'm shy. You ain't shy. You've been trained to keep quiet. And to be a leader, you must talk. You must share your ideas, communicate your vision. And that's why you're not a leader, because you're so proud to be shy. It's demonic. Being quiet is not a gift. So, it's leadership. You must do your work but say nothing. You must be in and out without no one seeing you. This is Greek philosophy. So, the master who mastered you told his four-year-old boy to stand up and recite something. You are 40 years old. He says, you must keep quiet. He's four years old. He's telling him to talk. You're 40. He's telling you to be quiet. Something's wrong with this equation. So the kid grows up by six years old. He is fluent in speech. And you're 40 years old. You're afraid to talk. Because the conditioning of the mind is different. See, sometimes you don't even know why you're the way you are. It comes from Greek philosophy that you live under still. This is probably why it's difficult for many people from the oppressive side of life to emerge as great leaders in industrial states because they are dragging a heavy history and they're trying to get rid of it and you want to be a leader with that weight the problem is when you set one of those slaves free he know he can't lead the master so he turns on his own people. <laughs> and he has to imitate the master. So he tells you, keep quiet. Don't tell me what to do. You shut up. I'm in charge. What I say is always right. It's my way or the highway. This spirit is a mentality of a slave with a little bit of power. And so you end up abusing your own people because you are mentally sick from historical damage.
and then you want a title. Listen, this is why you need a leadership seminar like this. First of all, to identify your problem. I'm not impressed by you telling me you are a bishop. It means nothing to me. Let me quote something from the Bible that's very important. Very important. It's found in the book of Ecclesiastes, I think it's chapter 11. Solomon says, woe to the land when a slave becomes king. Let me quote it again. This is in the Bible. Woe to the land when a slave becomes king. The word woe is the worst word in Hebrew. Jesus used it a few times. It's a curse word. It means damned you. It's a horrible word. Okay. Let me quote it one more time. Damned is the people in the land when the person in charge thinks like a slave. Woe to the land when a slave becomes what? King. Let me tell you something. Putting a crown on a person's head doesn't change their mind. See, <laughs> I really want you to think about yourself for a minute. The people you've been following. Are you just a bunch of sheep? Are these people free who are following you? Or are they parasites feeding on your fear? Propping up their own insecurity by your submission. Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, I have come with anger in my heart. Because I was there. It's a sad place to be. Lost and don't know it. Blind and thought you could see. We are victims of a leadership philosophy that is still controlling us today. So you go to work on Monday and you see the master in the department and your whole body becomes afraid. You are still sick. Then you see one of your fellow brethren and there's no fear. How come you have different responses to these two different images? Because you are still sick in your mind and you have a title. Please buy this CD. This is one you gotta give your kids because you see, if you don't get this straight in your head, you are simply a well-dressed, highly educated, powerful, crowned slave. You say you believe the Bible, but you actually follow the Greeks. And this is why when a person becomes a pastor, for example, in a church, all of a sudden they think that they're better than the people. Sometimes I listen to your pastors, you know, people on TV, and I just, I say, that person is sick. The way they talk to the congregation tells me that this person is dangerous. It's a well-dressed slave with a crown. Where did you get your 
leadership philosophy from? You got it from the Greeks. Because whoever colonized you, convinced you. Jesus never said that anyone can set you free. You thought, for example, that people, you know, like uh, Nelson Mandela, Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr. set you free. That's a lie. No human can set you free. Do you know what Jesus said? He said, you shall know. See, it ain't a person. I could come to this seminar and teach you for three days on how to influence people. Ten principles of leadership, five principles of organizational development, ten principles of management, and you still walk out of here as a well-educated slave. That ain't your problem. Your problem is you are still blinded and, 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 over, and overpressed by something you didn't ever even knew you had. That's why you got to go back in history and find out where it came from. Then you go back and root it up. The Greeks do not define Miles Monroe anymore. I am a dignified human. Not because of my pigmentation, my nose, my eyes, my hair, or my lips. I am a dignified, quality, first class, powerful human. Because I was made in the image of the living God. And I wouldn't give you the right or the privilege to put value on me. You have no idea how much I'm worth. Mind your own business. No one did that to me. I discovered the truth. You shall know the truth. And that's what I'm dealing with today. That's why you feel so deep inside right now. Some of y'all are weeping. Because, you see, I'm sick of people preaching at you these sermons. You don't need no sermon. You need a revelation of who you are. Wow. Yes. Yes. No one makes you a leader. You were born one. But you were smothered under a philosophy of followers and slaves. It's not just black people, you know. It's white people, Asian people. I've been to countries where I see so many white people oppressed. When I first went to Poland, I wept. Same spirit of oppression. My wife and I went to Hong Kong, I wept. The Chinese. See, anyone that robs you of your value is demonic. Amen. Oh, amen. Amen. And that's why my books are in 60 languages now Amen. in 112 countries including Mandarin and they're inviting me to come to these countries they don't care about my, how I look they said what you're saying is so true we need it here in China because people don't set you free the truth that you know 
set you free. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let me give you the original philosophy of leadership. This is the one that the Greeks didn't know about. It was written long before the Greeks became an empire. It's documented in the first book of Moses. First of all, the original philosophy of leadership believes that trapped in every follower is a hidden leader. That means, number two, every human was created to lead and designed for dominion. That's a belief system. Number three, leadership potential resides in every individual. Whether they discover it and use it is another issue, but it does reside there. Inside of you is an awesome leader. You know, this is why, for example, whenever you give a, a person who is oppressed an opportunity, they always excel. You know why? They were a constipated leader. You look at the Olympics, for example. <laughs> you know, you're like, wow, man, these little countries that, that have nothing, like the Bahamas. We beat America, remember? We whoop you all in the four by four. Why? We ain't got no programs in the Bahamas. We ain't got no government scholarships. We ain't got no, no place to practice. We just constipated for 200 years. Tell us, give me a chance to run. I'll run you out of your place. See, some of y'all don't understand what's going on in the world. Uh, if, if, you, if, you, if you ever give an oppressed person a chance to release their potential, they're going to whoop you. Not because they're better, you know. They're constipated. It's like a pressure cooker. You've been holding down that potential for so long. So all of a sudden, you got these basketball players, football players, and you're like, how come the scene is changing? because of constipation. Number four, philosophy. You were born to lead, but you must become a leader. Number five, true leadership is self-manifestation. It's not a matter of going to a school and learning some principles. It's manifesting your true self. That's leadership. That's a philosophy. And number six, very important, the purpose for true leadership is not to maintain followers, but to produce leaders. That's a philosophy of leadership. True leadership does not maintain followers. In other words, a true leader works themselves out of a job. True leaders are always moving. They never fall in love with a position. They are constantly producing people to take their place. That's true leadership. True leaders are not married to their titles. You know, when a person likes titles, it's a sign that they are actually a slave. Let me explain why. Because they get their value from the title. Most of the people who love positions are not leaders because they get their worth from the position that's why they will kill you to keep it because if they lose it they lose themselves because they have made themselves one with their title and their position that's why they become 
offended when you don't call them by their title, you know. Bishop Jones. You can't say Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones, they don't even look. Mr. Jones, I'm not Mr. Jones. These are sick people. <laughs> the more titles you need, the less you are a leader. You know, I, sometimes I, I smile. I see these people, you know, dressed in all kind of regalia. I mean regalia. And they got 10 titles behind their name, you know? Right, Reverend, Honorable, Bishop, Eternal, Potentate. You know, and I'm like, this guy is totally sick. I would never have lunch with this person. It's too much weight to carry at lunch. The more successful you are as a leader, the less titles you need. Can you write that down, please? Yes. What did I say? The more successful you are as a leader, the less titles you need. Always remember that. As a matter of fact, your goal in life is to reduce yourself to your first name. Because even your last name is not yours. <laughs> Monroe is not my name. It's a Scottish name. It's from Scotland. That means the, the master that owned my great-grandfather was a white Scottishman. So they named the slaves after the master's name. They said, that's Monroe's slave. That's how I got Monroe. I'm not Monroe, I'm Miles. The only name I own is Miles. So my goal in life is to reduce myself to Miles. When you read the Bible, it's intriguing, isn't it? You want to see great people? Read the Bible. For example, we don't say Reverend Dr. Bishop Moses. What do we say? Moses. How come we don't say the right Reverend anointed powerful Joshua? No, we just say what? Joshua. We say Daniel. We don't say Bishop Hezekiah. You say Hezekiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah. Ezekiel, Jose, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. You know what Jonah said? You know what Micah told us? Haggai prophesied. Malachi said. How about Matthew? Not Bishop Matthew. Mark. Oh, oh my God. If you call your pastor, Luke, oh, he'll kill you. Oh. We are sick. John. Paul. Peter. James. Jude. Oh my God. Jesus. Oh. 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 You could tell how effective you are by how many titles you get rid of. Teaching. Martin. JFK. Not even the name. JFK. How come you need so many titles? Because you ain't doing nothing. 
clap your hands right there. We need folks who could be leaders. So leadership is not a pursuit of power, position, title, or authority. Leadership is a result of self-discovery. I want you to spend some time in the mirror. And I want you to stay away from people for a few days and take a private retreat by yourself and meet with yourself. I'm serious. Everyone who discovered themselves in history were by themselves. Moses on the backside of the mountain. Ezekiel in the desert. Jesus in Judean desert. Paul in Arabia all by himself. See, you got too many people around you who don't know who they are. And they make you the same way. Spending this day away from your office and your family is one of the most important decisions you made. This conference could change your life forever because you are in a different environment. The noise of life can drown out who you are. I found mine at 3 o'clock in the morning as a little kid on a dirt ground in the Bahamas when the whole house was sleeping. And I had an argument with God. And I said, God, you are prejudiced. I was mad. I was 13. Because on one side of the wall was the white people. On the other side was the black people. It's a wall in our island that separated us. And I said, God, is, are you the same God that they serve? Because if you are, I don't want you to be my God anymore. And my daddy served you all his life. He's a pastor. And I don't want to be with him nor you. I was mad. No one knew what I was going through at age 13. The house was sleeping. The rats were running through the yard. And I was in the dirt. I was mad. You know what your problem is? You don't get mad enough. God answered me that night. He did. Matter of fact, God saved himself that night because I was about to get rid of God <laughs> God loves an honest heart your religion makes you a fake you stand up that I love you Lord you don't even know yourself I became angry and he introduced me to myself that night. And everything changed. That's why I'm the way I am now. You can never influence me negatively. It's too late for me. Your opinion means nothing to me. Because I know who I am. And you need that. You need to get there. To become the great man you were born to be. You are exactly what they made you. See this woman? I like this woman. Mother Teresa is four feet five inches high. 
She spoke at the United Nations, had all the countries listening to her. And guess who she was? A high school teacher. See, I told you to be a leader, you don't need to go to college, get a PhD in management. How come you never spoke to the UN? And she was just a high school teacher. She stopped the world. Here's why. Write this down. Because number one, leaders don't seek followers. Followers are attracted to true leaders. But they are not attracted to the person, even though there may be some influence there. They are really attracted to the gift of that person. And that is what makes that person a leader. Most of you came to the Miles Monroe Leadership Empowerment Conference because of a gift you tasted somewhere. Whether you read a book, heard a CD, saw a TV program, or saw a video, or you're on YouTube or something, you said, I want to go feed on that gift one more time. This is very important too, because sometimes when people come to your gift, you think they came to you. And this is when your pride becomes a problem. And that's when God pulls the rug out from under you. You know, people start thinking, well, you know, I got 10,000 members, hallelujah. No, you don't. Your gift has 10,000 members, not you. God will kill you in the morning. We confuse people's attraction to our gift to, to attraction to ourselves. And so we think, you know, we, I, me, I, we, me, I. And God says, no, it's it. And that's why leaders fall. Because they think the people came to them. I told you in the last session, when you go to a tree, you don't go for the bark nor the leaves. You don't go for the trunk. You go for what? You just go for the fruit. And if you don't see no fruit, what do you do? You leave. When a leader falls, because he or she thinks that they are the thing. We wonder why there's a scattering. It's because the leader confused the trunk with the fruit. I'm just a servant. I'm serving you my gift, that's all. This ain't about me. It's my gift. Write this down. Attraction is inspiration produced by the individual's passion to serve their gift. You want to become a leader? Find your passion. Pursue it with perseverance. And serve the world with it. People will be attracted to you from everywhere. Leadership is an attraction. You don't force people. 
And the way you maintain them is you keep serving. If you want to be great, you just serve. Keep serving your gift. Keep serving it. Keep serving it. You become a slave to your gift. Not to the people. You keep serving it. Your existence is serving it. Keep serving it. And they'll find you. Last year I got over 800 invitations to travel around the world. Halfway through this year, I hit 800 already. So we have over 1,000 people wanting me to come in. Over 60 countries. And most of them I don't even know. And they want to pay my way. Pay me. They're looking for the gift. It ain't me. See, when you understand it, it keeps you very humble. That's why I ain't got no bodyguards. My wife is my bodyguard. That's all I got. No bodyguards. There's nothing about me. I don't need no entourage. I don't need nobody cleaning my shoe. I can clean my own shoe. I don't need nobody fixing my hair, man. This is, it isn't about me. It's about my gift. And that could go just like God could kill me just like that. Amen. You better stay in touch with yourself. Find your gift and serve it. You become great. They are attracted to your gift. And this is what makes you a powerful leader. I want to give you a couple of thoughts about attitude before we break. Your attitude arises from fundamental beliefs and convictions. And that's what I'm dealing with, you know. I'm dealing with what they told you when you were five years old. You know? I mean, the house you was brought up in, my son, they didn't know who you were. And they took you to school, and the teacher didn't know who you were. Then you went to university, and they gave you a career that ain't your passion. And now you are stuck with a life, and still don't know what to do with yourself. Mm. You've got to discover your beliefs about yourself. What are my convictions? What is my opinion of my own life? If you don't have an opinion of yourself, someone will give you one. You must have a discovery about yourself. Your abilities, do you know who your true abilities are? I want you to buy every book on the table of potential. I'm telling you, just, just read them. And some of you bought them, haven't read them. Read them. Because they are the ones that got me where I'm at. When I understood that my abilities had nothing to do with the exams in school, my life was changed. Your school don't know who you are. Don't believe no grades they gave you. You can't measure a human capacity in one hour in a test. Some of y'all are still living under some grade you got 20 years ago. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Stop thinking that way. They don't know how smart you are. I got three bachelor's degrees. A master's degree in administration and leadership. I got five doctorate degrees bestowed upon me. I don't trust none of them. Why? When you become impressed by someone's assessment of your ability, you become trapped. You can't measure how smart I am. 
Write this down. Your ability to lead depends on the attitude produced by your self-image, by your self-worth, and by your self-esteem. Your ability to lead is determined and it depends on your attitude that is produced from your self-image, your self-worth, your self-esteem. Let me give an example. I know I am important to the world. That is a statement of self-esteem. I know the world needs me. They need what I'm carrying. They, they, they need this. That's a statement of self-worth. I am valuable to you. I wasn't born like that. They told me I was worthless, remember? The Greeks told me that I didn't have blonde hair. So I had to, got, I had to get information from somewhere else. I got it from the manufacturer. His manual, the Bible. It taught me I have his image. What an image to have, a self-image. The image of Jehovah. Wow. And according to him, nothing is impossible. But Dixon, what they told you about you was a lie. Don't believe them. Let God be true. And every man a liar, the Bible says. Don't trust no one's opinion. Your parents didn't know you. They didn't even know Jesus. You know, one time Jesus, you know, his parents left him in the temple. And his mother and father came back to get him. You know, you remember that story? You ever read what he said to them? He began the statement by saying, did you not know? In other words, there's a, even your parents may not even know who you were. He told Mary, did you not know that I must be with my father? But you didn't even know? I, I, I've been with you for 12 years already. You still don't know? He was 12 years old. Your mother that carried you don't know how awesome you are. She was just a channel. So if you never had parents, it doesn't matter. It's not about your parents, it's about you. You never had a father, so what? You are here, welcome. Let's get busy. Let's go change the world together. Let's make an impact before you die. This is about you. Your self-esteem, self-worth. True leaders are more concerned with expressing themselves than with proving themselves. See, a person who's insecure got something to prove. A person who knows who they are have nothing to prove. 
So leaders don't go around trying to prove things to people. They're too busy being themselves. Leaders are individuals who have declared independence from other people's expectation of them. I won't allow you to determine who I can become. In other words, leaders don't clone other people in their image. They desire to help others become themselves. Sometimes we get pride saying that person is just like me. That's not what you want in life. You want people to be themselves. Why? Because you are boring. You want to use enough. <laughs> Yeah, but, but not, not <laughs> God loves you to just be yourself. Some of you autographed your books last night, and I wrote that in it. You wonder why I wrote it there. This is why I wrote it there. Be yourself. That's when leadership begins. Leaders are difficult to control. You can't control a true leader, they just don't behave. <laughs> You know, they, they just don't line up. They, 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 they just they don't fall in line. Why? Because they're too busy standing out. They ain't got time to fit in. Is anybody a leader here today? In other words, leaders are, are just, just difficult people. It's, you know, you, they're always messing with tradition, destroying the boundaries, asking questions you can't answer. They make you mad sometimes. Why? Because... They are themselves. Yes. <laughs> and they help other people to deploy themselves as well. I love people who have strong self-concept around me. Strong estimation of themselves. I love people who know who they are. Why? Because I got to figure them out. You, you two, some people have a problem to be with. I ain't sure what you're thinking. But when you know who you are, I got to worry about you. I know you know who you are. You're telling me who you are. That's why it's tough to be with certain people you know. You don't know what they are. A true leader can never be jealous of a person. Because they're not in competition. That's right. That's why you like to be with them. Yes. You don't got to walk on eggshells, you know, not, not hurting their feelings and all that foolishness, you know. These are real people, man. Authentic people. I, I love real people, man. It's, I just love, they make life easy. I got to be sitting around, you be careful what I say. You too much problem to live with, man. Don't clone people. When your attitude in your spirit is married to your ability in the flesh, you become a leader. Your mentality and your ability must be married. So when you marry your ability with your mentality, a leader is born. And this is why we can never fully carry out our leadership mandate if we don't have the mentality of leadership. And we have to integrate that attitude with our attributes, our aptitude, and our altitude will produce the leadership we require. In other words, leadership is not about ability. It's about mentality first. 
This is why leaders are, they can walk into a room, change the room. Why? Their attitude and their mentality is completely different. Sometime I'd walk into a meeting and they're discussing issues and I say, what's the, what's the issue? They discuss it, they tell me what it is and I'd go, oh, that's simple. And I'd say, let's just do this, why don't we try this? And they go, we never thought of that. Because we are so blocked in our thinking. Leaders look at elephants as lunch. They simplify life. I tell my wife all the time, keep it simple. Life is simple, man. Don't get complicated. Leaders keep it simple. I ain't got no money. Let's go create some money. That's how leaders think. They don't go, I ain't got no money. I'm broke. They say, let's go create some money. Because wealth is not something God gives. It's created. I am the God that gives you the ability to create wealth. I don't give wealth, God says. I create it. So you're not poor and you're not jobless. You just ain't thinking. Mm. Hallelujah. That's good. That's good teach. That's good. That's good. Every problem is a business. So to a leader, what you think is more important than what you do. I guess that's the whole measure of these two sessions. Thinking. Grappling with that Greek mentality. Destroying the Roman corruption in your mind. Being free from what people said about you. This is the heart of it. I want to close this session with the spirit of leadership. Now these, uh, you could get this in, in, in the books back there, but I want to go through them very quickly, and I want you to read them with me because I think it'll probably sink into your spirit if you articulate it verbally. These are what I have researched and decoded as the obstacles of people becoming leaders. If you get these, I will see you at the top. Number one, I call it the spirit of leadership. Number one, let's read together, go. The spirit of a strong self-concept, which is a true sense of your source. Now, I could teach that for two weeks. You got to know your source to develop your self-image. Number two, read. The spirit of a healthy self-concept. What is it? A perception of your true nature. That means a photograph of your life that you carry in your head. Number three, the spirit of self-confidence. What is that? A belief in your inherent ability. This is very important. A leader has a spirit of total conviction that they could solve any problem. I can't tell you how important that is. So leaders never panic. A true leader never panics. They sit and they think, this could be solved. That's where their confidence comes from. They have a confidence that they have an inherent ability to solve any problem. Inherent ability. The favorite words of Jesus, 
Peace. Have no fear. In the middle of a storm. Peace. Be not afraid. What are you talking about? We're getting ready to drown. Be not afraid. Why? There's a solution to every problem. And I am the solution. I'm going to stop the storm. He believed in his inherent ability. Number four, read. The spirit of self-significance. What is it? A sense of valuable contribution to the world. This one is very critical. When you're going to become what you were born to be, you've got to discover your significance. You are not a biological accident. You are not an experiment that God sent to earth to try to figure out. You were literally born because there's something God needed done that made you necessary. You are necessary. Say it. I am necessary. Say it loud. I am necessary. Say it louder. I want you to tell the world that every day you wake up. They need you. There's something you came here with that your generation needs. So you were not sent here just to make a living. You were sent here to make a difference. Your significance. Number five, read. The spirit of passion. What is that? A deep conviction and determination of your heart. In other words, you found something that you are willing to die for. That's passion. All leaders are dead before they died. You gotta figure that one out. Number six, read. The spirit of excellence. What is that? A striving to always improve self and work. That's what leaders do. They never satisfy. That's why, you know, I buy four or five books every month. My iPad is full of books. I'm always reading. Why? Self-improvement. Constantly. Some of you would walk past the book table and want to be a leader. And go straight to Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I'm sitting there going, what are you doing? You got a choice between cholesterol and concepts. self-improvement all the time coming the next time you hear about this event I want you to bring all your people with you man if you are a pastor you should have all of your people here why all of them if you love them you want to improve them you want to produce leaders number six read the spirit of excellence number seven the spirit of compassion, what is that? A sensitivity to the value of others. This is important. If you are a leader, you must be aware that everybody is equal to you. So you treat people with respect. I'm talking about the maintenance guy in the back room. When you meet him there, you bow and say, Your Excellency. This compassion is missing. There's some pastors who have no compassion. I'm listening to pastors. I go to the church to preach, and I hear them talk to people. I'm like, oh man, I want to leave this church right now. 
This is a demon. The way you treat your people. Who do you think you are? When you die, they will never visit your tomb. When you make people valuable, they make you valuable. Yes. Number eight, read. The spirit of creativity. What is that? A belief in the untested and the untried. If you are a leader, you got that spirit. You believe that if it hasn't been done before, it can be done. The untested. Creativity. A leader always tries new things. Failure means nothing to a leader. It simply means find another way. Creativity. Number nine, read. The spirit of self-empowerment. That means a desire to see others succeed. Number 10, the spirit of self-improvement. What does that mean? A personal commitment to your own growth. Number 11, the spirit of self-discipline. What does that mean? A commitment to a self-imposed standard of life on yourself. This is important. A leader doesn't need external discipline. They impose on themselves discipline. I do not commit adultery. So they impose it on themselves. I am faithful to my spouse. So they are imposing on themselves. Paul calls it beating your flesh under. That's leadership. I do not tell lies. I impose it on myself. I don't gossip about people. I impose it on myself. I don't undermine my workers. I impose it on myself. I trust the people I give authority to. I impose. In other words, they are always disciplining themselves. I will do good in the dark. I will do right when no one is watching. Self-imposition. So leaders are. You can trust the leader when no one's around. Because they discipline themselves. When a leader falls into immorality, it's because they have no self-discipline. When you lose self-discipline, you have no right to discipline anybody else. You lose the right to lead. Leadership is not a right you demand. It's a privilege that the followers give you. The only thing a leader has to work with is trust. When you violate that, you're canceled. You're an empty title walking in a robe. Discipline yourself to protect trust. Thank you once again for listening to this message as we hope that it has been a blessing to you. Our goal is to show you new paths and opportunities so that you can discover your purpose. It is your love, support, and partnership that makes Monroe Global possible. Please visit us online at www.monroeglobal.com for more product, partnership, 
or to join us at one of our live events around the world.